0: And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. See, what feels like eons ago, before diapers and naps and toys and the like, Jess and I would periodically get out of town, just the two of us, And I found myself daydreaming about those moments, those uninterrupted moments this past week. And as I thought about those uninterrupted moments, the irony was that a loud shout from a toddler in the next room came and disrupted my little trance. But something carried over from that little daydream. And and it was this specific memory of when Jess and I would travel. You see, when we had these opportunities to go out, uh, we would often go to Airbnbs, partially because we just wanted to cook for ourselves and sometimes because you could, you know, scrape together a little extra coin. But there would be these inevitable moments in any Airbnb you go into uh, when you go into the kitchen. And the kitchen is this odd room because it looks really familiar and yet once you get there, it's unfamiliar. Most rooms are pretty intuitive. Like you, don't have to go into a bedroom and wonder what the furniture is going to provide for you. Like nobody looks at the dresser and goes, "Okay, is that is that where I'm going to lay my head tonight?" Like those are those simply are just not the questions that we ask. We know what to do in a space like that. But when you go into a new kitchen for the first time, you quickly realize that there is no standard rule for how to organize that space. And despite the vague familiarity, when you actually go to cook a meal, which is like the purpose of getting an Airbnb for some folks, I suppose, like myself, the cutlery is out of place. The spices are like tucked away in weird places. Some are displayed prominently, but never have been used. So should you use them? You, you just don't know the answer to these questions. The whole process feels upside down. So I imagine that this is how Jesus's hearers felt when they came and listen to him teach, specifically his parables here in Mark chapter 4. See, here's this rabbi who's growing in notoriety. He's been displaying the miraculous works of God. There's been teaching with authority and healings, the casting out of demons, basically the whole kit and caboodle of the kingdom of God. And so you're expecting, when you come to hear this Jesus of Nazareth teach you, you're expecting what, like a, a powerful prophet, maybe a healer, perhaps later on in the time you're going to see a, like the exorcism of a demon. But right when you'd expect the healing, it's a story about a lamp under a basket. And then when you'd expect the encounter of, you know, with the unclean spirit, it's more talk about seed, farmers, and a big shrub. It's all upside down. It's out of place. It's wonky. It's as though Jesus is aware that that you in the crowd, you're, you're kind of there for a show. You're interested in Jesus, but really you're wondering what he's going to do. It's as though Jesus is aware that the people who are there aren't really interested in the word of the kingdom, the seed he's sowing, the, the word that brings life and hope and renewal. The people in the crowd, the ones who are hearing Jesus' teaching at this point in Mark chapter 4, theirs seems to be this spirit of entitlement, which begs the question of us, what's our spirit when we come to the text? Is ours a spirit of entitlement? Like, what do you expect when you come to Jesus? Do you expect to encounter a powerful prophet for your personal good? Is that what you're looking for when you come to Jesus? Maybe you want a healer in this moment of crisis what do you expect when you come to him or, or maybe maybe we really are eager to hear from jesus so i don't want to paint us as a people who are just in the crowd each of us respond to jesus in a unique way maybe we're lingering on his ever like his every word maybe we're like captivated by the vision of of justice and integrity that's like lived out it's it's embodied by him Maybe we see Jesus and we want to be with him. We want to become like him. We want to do what he did. And and we want to do that now. You see, how we respond to Jesus, it's the thing. It's the thing in the world today. It's the thing in the Christian life. It's the thing in the kingdom of God. I mean, just, just hear this little commentary from Mark, right? In verse 33, he says this. With many such parables, he spoke to them as they were able to hear it. I mean, the the images that Jesus has used, these, these parables, these kingdom stories, think about it, a lamp, a seed, a giant shrub, these are odd images, are they not? Well, they may be odd to us, but for the people who knew the Hebrew Bible, namely the Jewish people who Jesus is talking to, these are vibrant images in the Hebrew imagination. So just take the seed, for example. If you were there listening to Jesus, it would, it would be no stretch of the imagination to go, yeah, the, the seed. I, I remember the prophet Isaiah talking about the seed. Yeah, he, he would say that the seed, this is like when God was speaking to, to Isaiah. He said a seed is like, it's like his word, that it goes out and it doesn't return to him void. Like it always achieves the purpose for which he sent it out. Or, or, or take the mustard seed, for example. It, it would, again, be no stretch of the imagination for the Hebrew listener to go, wait a second, the mustard seed, it turns starts small but becomes this big tree in the air, birds are nesting in it. Hey, that's kind of like Daniel's weird dream, the, 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 the dream that Daniel's interacting with in Daniel chapter 4, where the tree grows up and all the nations of the earth come to rest in it, to make their home in it. But that tree was Babylon, but then, but then after, but then that tree gets cut down, and then God establishes His kingdom. You see, these these images, the seed, the, the tree, the shrub, the, like these are all stock images in the Hebrew imagination. So Jesus, he isn't necessarily teaching a new thing when when he's teaching in parables. Rather, these teachings, the, the parables, are calling out his listeners. To something more than just knowing God's word. And and for us, we're so cerebral, we're we're intellectual, we think knowing God is, is about what we know about God, when really, it's more like Jesus's context. Because knowing God was about acting with God. See, knowledge, it didn't become true understanding until it was put into practice, until it was acted upon think about Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. It's like there's this connection between hearing his words and doing his words. And the same is true here in these little parables. The parables are provoking a kingdom of God response. And Jesus is situating himself right at the middle of that response. Because how we respond to Jesus is the thing. And now, it's one thing to respond to Jesus in a moment of peace, and it's an altogether different thing to respond to Jesus in moments of crisis. But you know, for us, today, we, we're kind of an ahistorical people, and what, that, what I mean by that is that we often see ourselves as like history starting when we came of age. But that's so not true. <laughs> I mean, we're opening up a book that has thousands of years of history of people just reading it, let alone the people who are in it, who are exposing themselves to God and experiencing God in their midst. So when we enter into the stories of Jesus, we enter into the full breadth of a community of faith that's taking these moments in and, and providing them. Remember, Mark, Mark is giving this account to help us see who Jesus clearly is. And right here, what we see is that in Jesus's audience, they too are in a moment of crisis, like Jesus's cultural moment, the people who he's speaking with, they're under a tense oppression. They're on lockdown, albeit they're locked down, crisis, it comes from a different type of virus, of of the virus of like war and violence, a virus that's embodied in the, the nation of Rome and its military oppression. To, they feel the need for something new. They feel a release for the lockdown to be lifted. And they feel it like deep in their bones. And w- what haunted me is, as I, as I came to this time today were those last few words in verse 33. As they were able to hear it. Like I, I couldn't get my attention drawn away from that as they were able to hear it. See, the hope for release from oppression was a hope for God to show up and establish what the prophets of old called the kingdom of God, what Jesus was about. This is the business that Jesus is about, is proclaiming the kingdom of God. And this kingdom was, was now on Jesus' lips in these moments. It's like hope was emerging, but it was entirely unfamiliar. It was out of place. It's it's like they went to a, a place expecting one thing, and they got another. It didn't look like they expected it to look. This is an odd sort of kingdom Jesus is speaking about. It's it's as though the cutlery is out of place. The spices were in all the wrong spaces. And, like, how can you cook a meal like this, Jesus? Like, how could God's kingdom be slow in the face of oppression we need to go to Jerusalem throw off the Roman military oppressors and establish God's kingdom that way and what becomes apparent in the gospel according to Mark is that some do hear Jesus they respond with sincerity and compassion like they receive his words and his ways they, they take up the rhythms of his life which means they they take up their cross and they follow him they make themselves the, the last and the least. They humble themselves in love. They give themselves away for the good of the other. And others, they dismiss Jesus like a madman or worse, one possessed by a demon. The responses are, are striking. Some are in with Jesus and others are out with Jesus. Some are moving toward the kingdom and others are moving away from the kingdom. So what, what do you expect the kingdom of God to look like? these parables are drawing us into Jesus's world and imagination that's that's what they're doing for us they're they're asking us this question what do we expect the kingdom of God to look like these parables are helping us to hear what the kingdom of God truly is like because we all have an idea of of what the kingdom should be like the scribes had an idea who came up from Jerusalem and just moments before this saying that Jesus had a a demon in him the the crowd had an idea they're they're pressing in on him seeking healing and restoration of all sorts the disciples had an idea some are going to rebuke jesus when he says that his way is the way of the cross that's peter some are going to say "Hmm, i wonder what cabinet positions are available in jesus's you know new kingdom the disciples had an idea those closest to him so how will we respond to jesus so I was thinking about this in the context of, of our moment, and for decades, like even generations now, America has been thought of as a Christian nation. And this is, I understand, this is a loaded statement because how people of color and women and the marginalized have been treated in our country, our nation's history, is a tragic story. It's, it's a story that's still being told today. In the crisis we find ourselves in this global pandemic it it's like further polarizing many of these issues in some ways it's bringing them to the surface so that justice can be meted up but it's it's not complete restoration it shows us just how dark our current moment is and that that we're the one who like we are often the ones throwing shade making the darkness darker and whether this nation was ever a Christian nation or not, that, that's, that's questionable. But, I mean, perhaps it was like deist at best, but for sure in the formation of this kingdom, the, the kingdom of America, if you'd say, there was Christian influence. I mean, the Bible, it's, it's carved in to the great stone structures all around our nation, into capitol buildings and state buildings and just buildings on a city corner. It's in foundational documents, and God, at least by name, is on our nation's currency. Many of the things that Americans value, think about um, human dignity and freedom, those have their rootedness with Jesus. They're distinctly Christian concepts. And yet, even when the writing is on the wall, we run the risk of missing the substance to which those words point. It's, a, it's ironic, is it not? My point here is that there is no human technique. There's no religious strategy that can will forth some sort of kingdom harvest, be it in the Americas today or in first century Palestine. You see, the Apostle Paul will go on later in the New Testament to, to give an expression to this that's super helpful for me as I was thinking through this. He'll say in a local church, that's having competition around leadership. There's an elevation of of one chooses one leader and another chases after another leader. But Paul will say this, that it is God alone who gives growth to the seed planted. You see, our hope here in our context in this moment, it's not to return to some form of like augmented theocracy where every knee like bows to Christianity as a national religion. Our hope right now is the hope that was true in Jesus' day, that God's kingdom would come here on earth as it is in heaven, that the reality of God's presence and person would be manifest and be experienced by all, that we would all taste and see the goodness of God. That is the vision that's captured in these parables, that Jesus is saying, but it's not going to come like you think it's going to come. Because God's not in a rush. And it, it really, it pains me to say this aloud, that God is not in a rush, because I find myself praying prayers like, God, would you hasten the day when I can be back, like face to face with you, <laughs> that we can embrace one another. Like, I am a place guy. I, like, the, the, the value of being with a people in a place and expressing the values of the kingdom with those people in that place, like, that's what the whole formation of my Christian identity has been centered around and now we're online and you're watching this on a screen. It's just, it's upside down. It's backward. It's like it, it, it feels odd. It's like God is giving us an opportunity to, to hear him if we are able to hear it. You know, I I think about my own story and how over like a course of years the gospel was proclaimed to me. Like I was in spaces where I heard the good news of Jesus proclaimed but there was nothing. There was nothing in my life that that evidenced like it wasn't proximity to Jesus. It wasn't like the good news would just be diffused into my life. I. It wasn't even like that I, I would go, do good quote-unquote things but it but then all of a sudden, it was as though the liquid love of God was just poured into my heart. And it was this vibrant, like new, it was the, the whole world was unleashed. It was like I was seeing it as it actually was. And the only way that I could um, even now grasp to describe it, it was as though the cumulative weight of the gospel had weighed upon my heart and finally broke into the hardness of it. And, and it, was, it was like that fissure, the thing that cracked open and allowed that love of God to pour in was the awareness of my sin. And, and by sin, I simply mean any failure to reflect the image of God in nature, attitude, or action. So it's this utter pervasive reality in our world. <laughs> this thing that we are like, we hear teachers say this, we'll see people write about this, that we are sin sick. Th- that, that is the reality. And I wonder, in, in light of this, like, is the gospel, is the good news of the kingdom, is it really good news if you've never tasted the sour wine of your sin? And, and the obvious and quick response is yes, like, the, the good news of the kingdom of God is good irrespective of our response to it. That's what, in part, makes it good. But the other part of that answer is no, because it is, it is like, the depth of, of our sin, it's, it's the darkness that makes the light of the gospel so bright and vibrant in our lives. You see, I, I was not able to hear God because my vision of goodness was hijacked by sin. I was calling things that God calls evil good and things that God calls good evil. I was flipping it around to serve my own purposes. But, it, but when I saw that it was Jesus himself who was reordering the chaos of the world, like he's entering into this moment and everybody is like clamoring for war. They want overthrow of the oppression and Jesus is coming with his faithful presence to say there is another way and it's not the way that we expect. It's slow, it's like a mustard seed, it starts small but then all of a sudden grows to the point where it Many things are inhabiting it in its space. You see, this is the call of Jesus. That the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and trust in the gospel. It is that simple and that frustrating. Because the vision that Jesus has here is one where we actually turn away from present circumstances, present ways of living, and turn towards him. Tucked into that is that how we're living will not lead to life. That it's not just our behavior, but it's like the core of our person is leading to death. And the secret things of God, they will be revealed. And Jesus is saying, I'm saying these things if you're able to hear it. And as Jesus makes these things clearer and clearer, there comes this decisive moment. It's in the middle of chapter eight in the gospel according to Mark where he reveals how this kingdom is going to come and it's gonna come by way of the cross. And Peter rebukes Jesus. Do you remember Jesus' response to Peter in that moment? He says, get behind me, Satan. Satan. Because we all have a vision of what the kingdom is to be. So what is yours? Who, who is Jesus to you? Is he just a nice moral teacher, giving you some basic instructions before leaving earth? Is is Jesus a, a mighty prophet who's speaking words of life that are going to give you a, a good life script, but, but that's really all? Who, who is Jesus? This is what this, these parables are opening up to us. is a moment to reconcile with how we perceive the kingdom of God to be. It's something that puts a lump in my throat, something that when I think about how it's been conceived culturally, my goodness. Like ours is, is not a kingdom that clamors for cultural clout. Like we're not trying to garner more influence in that regard, like we don't, we're not trying to win the culture. Ours is a call to faithfulness. Ours is a call to be with Jesus, to become like him, to do what he did. This is the the call from the king about the kingdom to people who he's inviting in. See, there's this Jesus who comes and he makes a way for us to be sons and citizens in his kingdom. See, when Jesus says he's going to the cross, he's saying he's actually going to die for his enemies, that the kingdom of God is one that is upside down and backwards. It doesn't make sense. It seems familiar to us, but as we draw near to it, it is bewildering and it's frustrating. And yet God is patient with us. He's not in a rush. Like Think of how he's been working with you this past week. This past month, these past two months in quarantine, like what's been exposed in you? God's not surprised by that. He is faithful to draw near to those who draw near to him. He's calling out to you. And you see, the, the beauty of the gospel is that it makes a way for us who are marred by sin to draw near to a holy God. It revives our soul. And I I love this picture of revival that Jesus is like tapping into, that it's it's drawing people back to the core of the call of God, to covenant faithfulness. That's what a revival is. It's a, a drawing back to what we know of God and breathing fresh life into it. And like my favorite revival is this moment in the Hebrides and the late 1940s, early 1950s, in this island, like cluster of islands off Scotland. And not many people know about it, but because it was attested to by Duncan Campbell because there were false witnesses being born about it. But the way they talked about revival is quite different than I imagine how you think about it in this moment. See, when they would talk about revival, they would talk about the intense pressure of sin. Now imagine the last time that you sinned and you would call it sin and you knew that because your conscience was burning. Imagine that moment in your mind's eye right now. Now now think back further to past moments of sin. Okay, you got those. And now think back even further to when you were just a small human and your your parents or your guardians they would they would ask you to do something and you knew that it was good to obey and yet you chose not to. Now imagine all of those sins passed and like coming to bear on you in a moment. That is how people would describe revival in that moment. It was as though all of their sin was brought to their fore and the desperate need of God was right there with them, that the gospel became most clear, that the goodness of the kingdom of God became most clear in the face of their sin. That is the pressing reality that Jesus is bringing before us, is that the way that we're seeking to live and flourish in the world is not the way that leads to life. But Jesus is saying that there is a light that shines in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it, and that is him. And so today in this, these parables about parables, Jesus is turning over for us, a way to see the kingdom afresh. How will we come to it? And if you think I'm, I'm talking about condemnation, I'm, not, I'm talking about conviction and compassion. Because that is how the spirit comes to us. And, and you can't will yourself to God. The flesh will accomplish nothing. It is the spirit alone that brings life. And so my one call to action for you, church, my one call to you, is to respond to this question. What do you say to Jesus?